Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. Once again, I'm Musa Kwonga, joined by Ryan Hunt and Michael De Silva. Ryan, welcome. Hello. Michael, welcome. Hello. So it's been a busy week for football, both on and off the pitch, but we're going to start with the Football League's revelations about the leading clubs in Europe planning a breakaway Super League. Dum, dum, dum. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I think we anticipated or feared. Uh, we had a podcast about this, the future of football, uh, a few weeks back, but all these developments have come rather quicker than we anticipated. So, I think that's it. I mean, we've been talking about this for, well, I haven't, but it's been on the cards for 30 years or more. Right. Um, it's just it's just alarmingly further along the uh, the line than we thought. Um, and you've got teams like Bayern Munich. I mean, Der Spiegel, by the way, they've done it again. Right. Let's um, just off our cap to them. Christoph Winterback and Raphael Bushman, key to that. Um but yeah, I mean, I think Manchester United should be uh, fortunate to be among those clubs. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> okay, just, just, just to recap to those who've not had their ears pinned to the ground uh, for the last couple of days, a large amount of documents were leaked to Der Spiegel. Well, at this point, the premier football, you know, investigative journalist in working football, I would say right now, in terms of the stories they've broken. And the documents basically detail the outline of plans for a breakaway. European Super League involving some of Europe's biggest clubs, the world's wealthiest clubs. So the plan would be, I think, to have a core of, I think, 11 or so teams that could not be relegated. Well, I think, I think it's basically the, the, the definition of it is the 17 top teams in Europe from um, TV coverage or TV audience, plus one more, which is defined as from, either Turkey or Holland or somewhere. Was it Russia or, Portugal well, or Russia? Russia. And the idea is that the core teams would not be relegated and there would be sort of five or six teams by invitation yeah. who would play each other for promotional relegation to that league. Yeah, there'd be a knockout at the end of the year as well. And judging by the documents, they seem to have something ready to sign to try and inst- or instill this in 2021, There's which a is very soon. Mm. There's a binding document, I think it said... Um, binding documents due to be signed this month, which I think is why the person who leaked it, apparently his, well, his pseudonym is John, living in Portugal. And frankly, I mean, if... Listen, John, Portuguese John. Portugal. John, <laughs> I'm not... John. I would love it if it was actually, you know, Alice living in France, because I think even revealing the country you live in, Portugal's yeah. not a big country. So if you're in, if you're in Portugal leaking documents... And they've had yeah. that big thing recently with the, I think it was the Benfica blogger who um, was writing about leaked documents or sporting lisbon it was, it was benfica right was yeah, it benfica, yeah. and he basically got um some legal stuff come through from google well just before we get into the details of the plan and what this means for football i have to just say 
the person leaking it and reading the Der Spiegel piece, it's fascinating if you get a chance to read it. He basically is doing this because, well, assuming John is... They. Male, they, yeah, they. They are, they are leaking these details because they're so disillusioned where football's going, the exploitation of fans. And someone said the best thing, you know, John, you know, John said, excuse me, John, John said, the leaker, that the frustrating thing is you look through all the plans for the Super League and fans aren't mentioned once. Mm. They just absolutely take the supporter for granted. And that's been happening for a very long time. Yeah. And maybe to an extent, the football authorities are accountable for this latest evolution, as they're calling it. But it's pretty grim for football, isn't it? I think it's really, really grim. I think it's something that is inevitable when things stop being primarily a sport and are primarily a business, a big business, you know, where the ultimate goal of winning isn't enough anymore. It's about revenue and profit maximization. And I think that's the key driver behind it is the is the revenue that the big clubs, if you like, earn from the Champions League every year seemingly isn't enough for them anymore. And the key driver behind it is that the revenues from this proposed Super League would completely eclipse the revenues from the Champions League. However, without getting too romantic about the idea, I think a lot of these big clubs really need to just like check themselves a bit. Talking about breaking away from your historic football federations and leagues, etc. You know, I mean, it seems to be instigated by Bayern originally from the documents. They seem to be the people who came up with the idea to contact other clubs. And, you know, Bayern's dominance on the Bundesliga recently is no secret. However, once upon a time, they weren't even the biggest club in Munich. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. Can I be, can I just throw something in there? If these clubs do break away and they sort of, you know, take their ball and run off. You then have this kind of middle class, second class, whatever, species of club that actually has much more chance to have a dynamic competition. So what if what if these clubs go off and form a Super League and it's dull as hell? Imagine if it's like mm. watching PSG every week. Yeah. Right? It's dull. And meanwhile, the Premier League is super exciting with the championship. The French League gets exciting again. And all of a sudden, there's this resurgence, there's this backlash. And it's like, oh, even though we're earning 800 million euros every year, we kind of miss that. Thank you. We want to come back. And I can see that happening. And I may, you know, it would probably take, uh, they'd have to get bored of the cash first. Um, which would take some time. It's but, the gentrification but, of football. But the th- yeah, well, the Champions League at times is boring. It can be. Um, oh, no, it is. You're totally right. I mean, especially in the no, groups. Not, yeah, I mean, not always. But, no, but, yeah. but there is a, it takes a while for the Champions League sometimes to get really exciting. Yeah. Can and I be honest? I would love nothing more than for this Super League to happen and for it to be really, really awful and dull. Mm. And for fans of these clubs, long-standing fancy clubs, to cut up their season tickets and send them in. And for them to replace, listen, I'm sure that Real Madrid have made all these projections in Bayern and Manchester United. They projected that there's a whole new fan base waiting for them Mm. in countries where it's unexploited, right? I would love these fans to leave, go and support different clubs, local clubs, start going and supporting other games. And for the clubs that had been basically cut off, let's say like um, Mainz or Schalke, to basically hoover up. Well, actually, sorry to yeah. cut in, but Schalke are one of the teams that would be included in that league. Yeah, I think it's Schalke, Schalke, Dortmund and Bayern from Germany are the, are the proposed Yeah, three. they're one of the peripheral teams yeah. that could be invited. There's a really yeah. smart opportunity for clubs seeing this to start going, we are the guardians of real football. And RB Leipzig would no longer be the most hated club in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> They'd yeah. be the fourth most hated. I just have to, no, I, have to I, I want to just sort of just finish off painting that vision where I want people 
to see how grotesque this is yeah. for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the Super League to happen. If it does happen, I would love there to be a major backlash. I would love the clubs excluded from the Super League to form an alliance, to have new competitions. Yeah, it will. Uh, the, the Super League will happen. It's just a matter of when. Um, and I can see there being a backlash not too soon after it starts. Um, it could even just be mutinous from the start. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is going to happen. And if it does happen, just, just let's just let's just do it. Let's just see how it goes. And let's just see how all of these teams fall on their faces because, you know, even money can't buy happiness. <laughs> Michael is speaking like a true Spurs fan who unfortunately would not be included in the Super League. Good. And would therefore... I'm happy we're not. ...win loads of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we'd win the league every year. <laughs> That's why he's so pro. Yeah, Super League, can't come quick enough. <laughs> One thing I want to say, this reminds me of, Damn this it. reminds me of a few years Busted. ago. Yeah. <laughs> this, what's happened with the Super League reminds me of a few years ago in London when they started closing down all these amazing venues that had like Afrobeat nights, you know, they closed down Parson Clouds and Hackney mm. and all of a sudden you're like what's the point of this to, to turn London into one giant luxury flat yeah. and like how much further can you gentrify football to the point where it just becomes lifeless and this is the thing it's the same reason that people will live in certain parts of West London but will not go clubbing there it's the reason why people travel an hour across London to go out in Hackney why because it's the only place there's a vibe and no. I think you're going to get the same thing with this Super League you're not going to have a vibe there absolutely and you know buy and win the, the, the Bundesliga more or less every year this year looks different but more or less they do PSG is starting to do the same in, in France and we can go around the whole of Europe and mm-hmm. say that this is this is the case and we spoke about this before on the Future of Football podcast but this is not the answer a Super League is not the answer you need to spread the wealth not ring fence it right. not once are fans mentioned anywhere in these right. plans which again when you shift from being a sporting club to a huge corporation and the priority shift, then maybe this is what happens. But fans in football are consistently walked over mm. and they're never a priority in any of these decisions yeah. that get made. And the despite, is- despite the fact that it's, it's the fans that made football what it is, like yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah, I think it's so it's so complex, this thing, and it has so so many layers and strains and you can go off in any direction. I kind of feel like that always sunny in Philadelphia meme. Kind of stood in front of the, with all my lines on the wall and everything joining. But football's so tribal now. It's so, so, so tribal. And it's always been tribal. But now I think with, you know, the added kind of element of social media where you just get people arguing 24-7 about one guy or one team or whatever. Everyone thinks there's a bias towards their club, this, that and the other. It's not just restricted to football, by the way. No, 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 it's not, obviously. But I think that what I worry is that football is so tribal that it's going to be really difficult for fans of multiple clubs to join together in order to resist this, which is, I think if there is going to be any way of stopping it, that has to happen. That absolutely has to happen. So the clubs from all of the teams that are involved and all the, the teams who aren't as well, who who play a role in like the Premier League and all these other kind of, you know, who maybe aren't even getting spoke about the effects that will happen to them. They all have to somehow, well, we're included in that, I suppose, join together to come up with an organised way to protest it or something like that. Because otherwise, if, if it's just left to the pockets of each individual club, I just don't think that's going to be enough. It's funny I mean? because this is the worst possible time then for German clubs to scrap the 50 plus one rule. Mm. It's the worst possible time because if the Super League happens and Bayern do disappear along with Dortmund, then you've got the German League being fully competitive again. 
with an ownership structure that works for most people. The only reason that really skew that system is, the only club that really skew that is Bayern. Mm. And also there's a horrific vision I'm seeing now of, you know, let's say that this Super League happens and you've got however many match days, what, 40 match days, right? That means the kind of person, the kind of fan that can afford to travel and see their club. Mm. You know, the, what and, and, do, and you're assuming that the games would be in Europe, by the way. This would be a big opportunity for them to be in New York, Shanghai, wherever. Oh, I'm making no such assumptions. I, I think the final, and I've said this before uh, on, on, online, I was like, when will the Champions League final be in Tokyo? Mm. They're going to get an algorithm but, that will calculate the maximum possible, the maximum possible viewing figures, and they'll basically have a, you'll have a Champions League game kicking off, final kicking off at 2.30 a.m. European time at some point. Yeah. I can see that. But there is enough resistance to that idea to make the Super League the easier option for these clubs to make that happen where you've got a, a, a final in Tokyo or wherever it is. Um, and, you know, I can imagine the Super League um, games being held at each of their grounds throughout the season and then the knockout round at the end of the season, you know, we all go to Dubai or whatever. Um, and this is just a, another way for these clubs to have their cake and eat it. It'll be like the sort of um, NCAA you know, the final four basketball where they've got like mm. the final round, not just the final, but maybe the, like the final, the yeah. semi-final, the final and third place playoff. Yeah. Come to Dubai for place, a week, yeah. come to Sharjah, wherever exactly. it is, you know. And, you know, I would, I don't want to sound like Kevin Keegan here. I'd love it. I would love it if, if it just, you know, blows up in their faces. So I think maybe we should go back and kind of just talk about how this started. So apparently it started from an email from Bayern Munich inquiring um, Bayern Munich's um, lawyer. Lawyer. Well, to the lawyer, right? I think from the the club office, exploring the legalities of, of what would happen if they basically stepped out of the Bundesliga. Mm. And then I think I need to reread everything in a lot of detail because it's quite heavy. <laughs> yeah, um, I spent at least an hour going through it. Um, but the gist is that it seems to be really spearheaded by Karl Heinz Rummenigge. Who's trying to distance himself from it at the same time? Yeah, well, there was a really I pulled out a couple of really key paragraphs in the just to give you a vibe of how icky this whole thing is. So there's a quote from the the, the article in Der Spiegel which says that the documents clearly show that Rummenigge's negotiating strategy hinged on one tool in particular, and that's calculated disinformation. Now, what does this sound like? Yeah, yeah. Check this. This quote. FIFA needs a transparent, democratic, and efficient structure with a new vision. FIFA, as an umbrella organization, needs to ensure from the top that the basic virtues of football, fair play, and seriousness are preserved. Just this insatiable really desire like... to just cling on to not just money, but power and influence. It's just, they'll never be satisfied. But the thing that I kind of, maybe it's me being mega naive here, but I was thinking Bayern's top brass are all ex-footballers. Mm. You all play for Bayern. Yeah, yeah. They're not guys who have like made their money in tech and bought a football club or, you know, owners of Red Bull or whatever. Mm. Yet they seem to be the people who are kind of hell bent on blowing up that traditional model. Is that like, is that me just being a little bit of a kind of baby or? <laughs> I don't know if it's connected because look, I mean, when you've been in football your whole life, and you've been like, you know, there's very entitled Uli Honus, like Rummenigge. These were great players. They are, you know, there's an entitlement that you are the custodians, the owners, the guardians. It's your plaything. You see it in certain pundits who don't know their prep. You know, there are some football pundits who do their homework 
and others who resent the presence of anyone who is not involved in football in the studio because they're like, this is our preserve. And that's what you're seeing. This is entitlement. Like, And I hope this is as dull, because I hope this really, I hope the Super League happens and I hope it's dull as hell. You know, when you meet two terrible people and they're in a relationship with each other, you're like, you know what? I'm glad you're together. I'm glad you're a couple. I'm glad you're a couple because then no one else has to date you. And then you go and do your thing. I wish you all the happiness. Go and do your thing, but just don't date anyone else ever. Just stay with each other. And that's how I feel. <laughs> hey, look, listen, let's be real. The Champions League is all very nice. It's all very nice, the Champions League, when it's once every fortnight or every month. Yeah. Oh, and it's Bayern City again. Really? Like the whole point of the Champions League for me was mm. the early years when you had Atletico going for it. Yeah. And Dortmund coming through. Mm. That was the joy of it. Yeah. And, you know, it was fun when you had only the champions in the Champions League, the clues in the name, and then you had a UEFA Cup at the time, which meant so much more. Right. So in some ways, UEFA have opened the door to this slippery slope. Well, they totally um, have, I think. Yeah. I think it's all, I don't think it's just the clubs <clears throat> to 100% blame here. It's like, why are they thinking about it? Yeah. You know, you've got to kind of go back and back and back and back and back. And you've seen how UEFA have treated European competition and how they've divvied up the, the European competitions and expanded them and basically just reduced the level of competition on the whole. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's kind of like, the big clubs are bored. And the Premier League's to blame as well because the Premier League is one of the wealthiest clubs and leagues in the world, had that fit and proper test, which was a joke to pass. And then you allowed people into football who didn't treat clubs as social institutions. And the reason why the death of the recent Leicester owner uh, is so tragic is because there was somebody who fundamentally treated a club as a social institution. Who got it. Right, right, exactly. Totally got it. And if you had that fit and proper test, and this is why I would push back against the 50 plus one rule, because once you do that, you can't go back. You know, and I think it's never more important to have fan ownership. I know we don't get into politics too much in this podcast, but in Germany right now, there is a real challenge politically for the parties in power because they have to present ideas to the electorate, like real ideas. And I think the challenge over the next few years is what compelling vision can clubs being excluded from these plans protect, prevent, uh, sorry, present to fans? So, for example, let's say I'm someone like Roma who's been shut out of these plans. And I, having, can I say, it's very, very cheeky of AC Milan to push themselves into the Super League because, <laughs> frankly, they've not been mailing it in. You know, well, to be honest, I'm an Arsenal fan and the fact that yeah. Arsenal are included in there, yeah, Rev- like on the Forbes list, they're one of the top 20 sports clubs or franchises or whatever in the world or something. But, like, why are they there? Well, it just proves it's not about performance. Exactly. Yeah, thanks. Do you know what? Do you know what could be powerful? I was happy to make that contribution. Let me have a suggestion here, right? Let me have a suggestion for revenue sharing across borders, right? So to resist the Super League, for example, let's throw, throw an idea out there. Imagine if clubs excluded from the Super League say, okay, do you know what? As our response to the Super League, we're going to democratise football. So let's say you're an Arsenal fan, or not, not, not well, a Roma fan. If you come to a game in Greece or one of the affiliated club countries, so Greece or Italy, whatever, another part of Italy, we will subsidise your season ticket. So instead of paying mm. 70 euros normally, if you come and watch this game, you'll pay 50. So if you're a season ticket holder for X club, let's say you're a Derby County fan, mm. if you come and watch a game, a Hoffenheim game, show your season ticket and you'll pay like a reduction just to show that football is a democratised sport. If you start offering deals like that, friendly packages, yeah. association packages, you're then creating a kind of... Um, you're saying these clubs no, under, no longer understand football. Yeah. And then if you wait long enough, hopefully a couple of the clubs in the Super League will chicken out and be like, actually, we've made a terrible mistake. One of the more encouraging signs recently was in the Eredivisie in Holland. 
where I think PSV, Feyenoord and Ajax have all agreed to split their revenue earned from European competition with the rest of the league in order to raise the competition level or just to keep the league healthier, which is just a really good thing. It's pretty, also, it should I be think the norm, right? It should be the norm, but I also I think that's... I wonder what, how... how um, whether that would be different if, say, for example, Ajax were still getting into the final four of the Champions League every year. You don't really know. Mm. I think a lot is riding on UEFA in the next couple of years because they've announced this third competition and they have a really, really big opportunity to undo a lot of the damage they did by taking away the Commoners Cup and the changes they made to European competition. Right. There could be a, a solution maybe with the the new third competition in Europe that could maybe kind of dampen the the, the thirst, if you like. That's, that's just a terrible way to explain it. Quench, I don't know what I'm saying. Basically, to stop the... Stop the Stop the fucking Super League. <laughs> oh, language. Oh my goodness, I, I, sorry, sorry. I'm, Audi- glad, I'm glad you got your point across in the end. Audience <laughs> members will have noticed an unusual an unusual element of a podcast, an expletive. I, think, I believe that's the first expletive that's made it past the cut. I'm not yeah. bleeping that out either. I'm so angry. <laughs> wow, angry Ryan. Wow, R- Ryan's head's gone. Goodness me. <laughs> It's like a gremlin. Someone drop some water on him. He'll multiply. <laughs> my goodness. But yeah, I just wanted to go back to the the the. Um, you were talking about tickets and what clubs can do to to help fans, but match day revenue is such a small slice of what these clubs make in a, in a year. It's like one percent, right? Maybe two percent. Why not? Why not have a ballot system for um, for tickets? Where you know, every I mean, you should always have season ticket holders, I think, but where where tickets are free. And it keeps and it keeps demand high, and you know, Man City, I'm sure, would fill their stadium every week if that was if that was their philosophy. Do you know what's going to happen? I think you're going to have certain footballers who are almost outlaws who refuse to play in the Super League, like one or two, not many, because it's never going to be that many. Mm. But can you imagine someone like Socrates? Can you imagine Socrates is alive today, and someone said, "Oh, you got to go and play for this." He's the kind of dude who's so left field; he'd just be like. I'm never playing a Super League game. Yeah. And the problem is most footballers, unfortunately, well, professionals just take the money and go. I'm not, yeah. not judging them. I'm just saying it's, it's not, I'm not blaming players for it. I'm just saying it would be really, really nice to have <clears throat> ex-players maybe coming out and speaking out against this. Because when you're in the game, it's hard to speak out. You know, there's so many different concerns as a player, but mm. it would be so nice to have footballers from outside the game, ex-players to be like, expressions and, and, and to appeal to the values of the club and be like, like Arsenal, we're not that type of club. In particular, you look at Arsenal. It's, it's not. It's not that kind of. It's a. It's, it's against. Well, it's against the traditional ethos. I think of Arsenal. Although since Stan Kroenke entered the club, something has changed at the top. Yeah, I also wonder how uh, much of an impact Gazidis had on that because it seems like he would have been the guy who would have been in on those meetings, and he's no longer there. Um, he's at AC Milan. Exactly. <laughs> so they're going to get uh, Arsenal's place, and we'll have to slum it with Spurs and the rest of the. <laughs> So yeah, that's the Super League. I'm sure we'll be returning to that theme. Grim times ahead, potentially, but don't worry, there is always the joy of what's happening on the field, and there's plenty of joy at the moment. Let's look at Arsenal-Liverpool. That was a cracking game. Yes, it was. The quality was great. The, it was so absorbing, just like from start to finish. It was pure quality. I, I really, really do like watching Torreira. I think he was um, rightly named man of the match in that game. Yeah, he was brilliant. But the, do, do you know what's interesting? is that I still think they're playing the Wenger way. 
it's just with a lot more, there's more intensity. There's more kind of desire to win the ball back as soon as they lose it. The, 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 he's tweaked it rather than revolutionized it. Yeah. And I think, like you say, the the intensity, that's the, that's the most intense I've seen Arsenal in a big game for quite a while. Mm. The desire to win the ball back. And I thought Rob Holding was really impressive. Again, he's continuing his good run of form. Mm. And um, I think has kind of almost nailed down a first team spot, which is really good. You know what really impresses me with what Emery's doing at Arsenal is that let's take Jurgen Klopp or Pochettino. They've taken three, four years to get to the point in the evolution that they're at um, with their clubs. Emery has turned it around in in less than six months. Mm, I think that I think that there's definitely elements of that that are true. I think he's maybe ahead of what people's schedule would have thought he would be at by this point. But I also think that Moose's mouthing, not mine. Not mine. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but I think, you know, if you said in June, by the beginning of November, you're going to just have drawn at home to Liverpool, you're going to be on an unbeaten run of 14 games or whatever it yeah. is, having lost to Chelsea and City in the first two games of the season. Yeah. Everyone would be like, whatever. That's not going to happen. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I think that there are still signs there that are kind of beyond his control. I think he needs a couple of transfer windows to bring in especially more defensive solidity and players that can deal with that system. Um, what I'm tr- what I'm saying is sorry, that I'm being the, no, no, it's fine. But what I'm saying is that the, let's take Spurs because I look at them more closely than most teams, uh, any team. It's taken several transfer windows um, and not just the transfer window, but the, the the period of time to implement a philosophy. So Pochettino is still after one year of being at the club. They were trying to figure out how he wanted them to play the players. This is and also just get up to that level of peak physical fitness which they weren't at before. And 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 that took that took a long time for that to to, to really manifest itself. At Arsenal, it was almost like Emery was Emery. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say he sprinkled his dust on the team, but he's just tweaked a few things and it's just, and it's accelerated. Maybe plot twist, Wenger left the club in a much better condition than everyone thought. Like the squad. I mean, look, okay. It was always overplayed, but the so-called crisis that Arsenal were in. I mean, these are, these are great players. Look, Emery has made big changes. I mean, they've got to credit for, you know, bringing Grandosi or bringing Torreira. Emery has made the kind of tweaks initially that Wenger made initially. Because when Wenger arrived, he did, inc- what I love about Wenger's um, arrival at Arsenal was that he incorporated so many of the players who were already there mm-hmm. and got them to adjust. And he'd be brought in, don't get me wrong, of course Wenger brought in big players, but he also was so good at working with the base. That's what I love about Emery. And that's why I have to say credit to whoever did this recruiting process for Emery, whoever did the profile, because that was absolutely brilliant. Mm. If you look at the transition, and I say this as a United fan, the transition from one leadership to the next, it has been seamless mm. as far as I can see. Yeah. And the great thing is someone like Cazorla coming out with his interview, Cazorla was like, a lot of things had to change. And Cazorla loved Wenger. And they mm. loved each other. But Cazorla was also, you know, that is the most polite criticism you're ever going to hear and therefore quite a damning one. You know, the winning mentality was not there. So for Emery to come in, and to honour all the traditions of what came before and to have a team that is happy playing football, you know, to take an unhappy Mesut Ozil and bring him into the fold. And also to get the best out of Lacazette. I mean, my goodness. That's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, that's been a masterstroke. And, yeah. you know, if, if Lacazette doesn't get you, Obama Yang will. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's the great thing. Obama Yang is struggling to start in his preferred position, but he's still been involved in something like 22 goals in 26 Premier League games since he joined mm. in terms of goals and assists, you know, which is just a... 
considering a lot of those have been substitute appearances or playing from the left, it's pretty wild. Mm. Um, one of the key pieces of this development so far process is Lucas Torreira, who was probably Arsenal's most exciting signing of the summer, I mm. thought, in terms of age profile, in terms of price, in terms of whatever. He was the guy who, it kind of reminded me a little bit of an Arsenal signing of 10, 15 years ago, where you like, they've put this like, Young Edu, yeah, kind of, yeah, like <laughs> young, really small Uruguayan midfielder from Sampdoria for about twenty odd million pounds, yeah, and signed him before the World Cup, pretty much, even though it wasn't confirmed. It's players like him is why Uruguay are so good. Yeah, eleven <laughs> Terreras, but Amazing. that's props to Sven Mislintat, Dortmund's ex chief scout, who's yeah. now head of recruitment at Arsenal. That's that's yeah. his job, and that's wow. like. You he know, did such a good job at Dortmund, and I think, yeah, there's, Tuchel would have. Uh, there, there's some history between him and. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, if things had gone a different way, he might be at PSG now. Arsenal are, are, are lucky to have Mislintat. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that like Liverpool probably missed a couple of chances on Saturday as well, though, and Arsenal right. missed a couple of chances. It was one of those where I think I think maybe on the balance of play, Arsenal shaded it a little bit yeah I think both teams would have thought uh, we could have won that we should have won that but points are right. overall yeah. would take a point I almost feel like Liverpool because they've got this fantastic squad and like this balance to their team are almost being used as a bit of a stalking horse by Chelsea and Arsenal who are putting together pretty strong campaigns of their own uh, Chelsea and um, Arsenal are looking quite good and I wonder if actually the challenge to Man City is going to come from either one of those teams more so because my whole thing with Chelsea was always like look the start of the season is like brilliant coach mm. actually as good really no, there's not much between Sarri and Guardiola and Klopp in my opinion tactically and Emery to an extent is just slightly behind them I think because in terms of Sarri's ability to make in-game adjustments I think makes them very special but I think the thing with me has always been Chelsea's squad is it big enough to, to challenge I think actually it is Mm. And I think that, you know, if you look at even how many goals, uh, the goal difference that Chelsea have got, I think Guardiola is not worried. I think he's concerned about the quality of Chelsea. I think this Premier League season is going to come down to the six games between Liverpool, City and Chelsea. You know, those those six games could decide it. And I think um, I think we're talking about coaches that have made an instant impact. I mean, Sarri's more than anyone it's unbelievable what he's done a couple of signings I mean Jorginho was, is, has been a master stroke he works so so hard for the team and that perhaps goes unnoticed because we're always looking at Kante scurrying around winning the ball but Jorginho is really putting in the miles influencing the play from deep um, Barkley's been a revelation as you wrote about for, for the Robona website the other day can I just uh, um, interject that's a very good piece I think people should go and read it yeah, it's on good. the Robona it's really good Robonamag.com thank you I'm just I'm so touched that you, thank you. The return of the English number eight, well worth your, your time. But yeah, um, yeah, Chelsea have, have, and kind of done it quietly as well. You right. know, they're just, is it a point or are they two points behind City? It's but, two points yeah, back. But that's easily, um, easily attainable. So I'm looking forward to those games. Um, and yeah, I think, I think Chelsea are in there. They're well in there and they could easily do it again, um, which, I certainly didn't see coming, but I know you, for example, Musa, had high hopes for Chelsea this year. Yeah, I did, absolutely. Like, like I said, I think with Chelsea, the only challenge for them will be the squad size. That's mm. the thing. If they get a major injury to a key player, hopefully Hazard stays free of injury, mm. but they've looked good without him as well. Yeah, they've shown they can do it. 
Quick one though, all this talk of praising Arsenal and Emery and yada yada, Manchester United are now only three points behind them after beating Bournemouth 2-1 on the weekend. So is it is it is it on? I think the, the, the surprising thing about United is that I looked at the Premier League table where after that win and I thought, oh, United must be up there. Oh no, they're still behind Bournemouth. Yeah, true. <laughs> Do you know what? United are having such an Arsenal season. Do you know what I mean? Like get way behind at the beginning and then everyone's like, all right, they're done. And then actually they kind of start clawing their way back. I don't think they will claw their way back though because the three, they might claw their way back to where Chelsea, um, sorry, um, Arsenal and Spurs are. That's what worries me. They're not... Yeah. <laughs> No, and the there are no way ties will contend. Oh no, 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 not at all. No. The definition of an Arsenal season is to play exciting football but have frustrating results. Ooh. That's an Arsenal season. We are having frustrating results and we're not playing exciting football, mm. and we're succeeding, unfortunately, through sheer natural talent and resilience. Because what's happening in, an, in our, the goals we're scoring are not well constructed goals. Carl Anker on Twitter, Anchorman sixteen, uh, so, sorry, Anchorman six one six. He was uh, mentioning the other day that. You know, City scores so many of these tap-ins, the ball driven across the box. You know, there's a, the De Bruyne-type driven cross or the Mendy-type driven cross more recently. And they score these tap-ins from six yards out because they dismantle you know, mm. they dismantle the opposition's defences. United are scoring world-class finishes mm-hmm. from distance to win games or equalise. That is not sustainable. Um, I have a little bit of a quiz question for you guys. There are five teams in the Premier League this season who've conceded more goals than Manchester United. Can you name them? Burnley. Cardiff. Yes. Fulham. Fulham. Yes. <laughs> uh, Southampton. Yes. Oh. Who are bottom of the Premier League? They must be. Oh, Huddersfield. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They are the only teams who have conceded more goals than Manchester But that United. must mean that United have scored more than most. They have scored 19 and Not conceded 18. It's pretty mediocre scoring. Mm. Pretty mediocre. So basically, yeah. the only, like, West Ham have conceded less. Brighton have conceded less. Wolves, Leicester, Everton, Watford. Wow. Um, I read. I read a Newcastle comment. Newcastle have conceded less. Sorry to jump in. I read a comment about, um, and we won't dwell too long on United because they're my club, and I don't like talking about my club too much in this podcast. All I will we'll say talk is about this: them for you. plenty, We're... plenty of talk from Mourinho about this is why I wanted to buy centre backs to build the play, and I just thought you've bought centre backs, mm. you've bought a lot of players, and Mourinho has this incredible ability, incredible ability to talk about United as if he's been there for two months. He hasn't. And look, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say this you know, to finish. My one issue with United at the moment is I don't see the club moving forward until he leaves. And that could be in two years, could be three years, four years, but I don't think he has the ideas to take us forward. Quickly before we cut off from United, does anyone know what he said to Eddie Howe mm. at the end? Yeah, that was strange, wasn't it? Because Howe didn't, he just kind of... It was like, whatever. Yeah. But it kind of looked like it might have been one of those Mourinho's, like, he looks aggressive, but he might have been like, you deserve to win that. And that was just like, whatever. Or he might have been giving him a little bit of a dig. I really wanted to know. I want yeah. to know. If anyone does know, can you tweet us? Yeah, let us know. I'm not... I'm, if I'm Eddie Howe's listening to this podcast, just drop us <laughs> Eddie. Our DMs are open. Yeah, DM us, Eddie. Hi, everyone. We're back from the break and we are heading over to Sancho Corner. <laughs> Jadon Sancho we've got thing? some news is this a thing now um, our young Michael met his hero at the weekend <laughs> I met a hero who's 16 years my junior how depressing is that <laughs> so Dortmund Borussia Dortmund were playing Wolfsburg this weekend yeah they were playing in Wolfsburg just an hour down the road from, from Berlin Dortmund won 1-0 it was one of those kind of gritty 
Um, they, they they played well, Dortmund, but in the end they had to kind of ground it out. Um, but they proved that they are title um, contenders with that kind of performance. And Sancho, yeah, of course, he, he put in a cross which could have led to the goal, but Thomas Delaney didn't know how to head the ball and ended up inadvertently setting up Royce, who does know how, how to head the ball. And um, yeah, I spoke to Sancho after the game. Um, he um, He's so confident, so confident off the pitch as well as on it. Um, and yeah, I mean, he the, the thing that stood out to me was his uh, admiration for for Marco Royce and um, in fact I think we've got the clip for us now it's about me working hard really. if I don't work hard then I won't get my chances so I just got to keep my head down keep grounded I want to ask you a bit about Marco Royce because he at one point seemed to put his arm around you he was talking to you in the game Like he, he seems to be like an older brother to you a bit yeah, yeah. I look up to him because he's a very big player to me and obviously I look up to him as an idol it's good to have him on the pitch talking to me and giving me advice on what to do so I just got to keep, him, keep, keep getting an advice and just keep working on my game and you were saying once that <coughs> it's uh, the secret weapon for this team is that you work hard for each other yeah. like do you think that you've improved maybe your defensive work and parts of your game that you didn't necessarily think about yeah I about? could say that I've become more mature when I'm playing so it's not about just always attacking, it's about working for the team as well, so I've learned that a lot. And I'm not sure it's still the same after today's results, but only killing Mbappe has more goals and assists than you yeah, in Europe this season. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that, I see that. Again, that don't really phase me, it's just I'm going to keep on working hard. And if I catch him, I catch him. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Do you know what, in that clip I can actually hear you swooning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am in admiration of this kid because 18 years old, is uh, he's something else. And I think him and a couple of others, Phil Foden, they're the future of English football. Didn't you say, sorry to cut in, but didn't you say that he... Uh... He was just kind of walking through the mix zone and then when he heard you kind of <laughs> yeah. talking English, he was like, oh, whoa. Well, it wasn't quite that dramatic, but he was very quick to stop for me when he heard my, my English <laughs> accent or my London accent, I guess. Um, he's Yeah, he's a very, a very nice guy, very personable. And yeah, I hope to be going to another Dortmund game soon and... Maybe Sancho Corner will be a recurring theme. I don't know. I'm just going to say about Sancho, because obviously we're all huge fans of his in this podcast, but we've said this before, the bravery to go away and try something different. Because when he was at City, even you know 18 months to a year ago, he was quite a long way behind yeah. Bram Diaz and Phil Foden in the pecking order mm-hmm. uh, at Manchester City. And to come, and you know, Phil Foden's a terrific player, and obviously so is Bram Diaz, but Bram Diaz in particular has suffered. And I wonder if someone like he is looking at the lack of game time he's getting at City, the fact that City don't need actually at this point anyone to come in and, you know, look at Gundogan. Gundogan's barely getting games mm-hmm. at City. So yeah, you must be looking now at that situation of being, well, look what Sanchez done so quickly. And he's the toast of Europe. I mean, he's consistently the most attack- the most dangerous attacking player. for One them. thing I worry about with Sancho is that he's going to be the subject of a big money move like next summer, like the similar thing with Dembele, you know, and it might be just too quick for him. I really want him to stay at Dortmund for a couple of years and develop. Because uh, that's the only way he's going to reach his potential, I think. It seems to be, obviously, I'm an outsider. You are now Bezzies with <laughs> Jaden. But he seems to actually have his head screwed on a little bit about Dortmund and seems to be pretty grateful that they were the, the club that took him in 
yeah. to and they the, the impact they have had on on his career has been yeah. huge. So I wonder whether because hasn't he just recently signed a new deal or agreed to a new deal? Yeah, he's there until I think it's twenty twenty two, but I'm not one hundred percent sure. So I actually kind of wonder whether there's something a little bit different about this situation. Mm. Club player. He's a very, very smart boy and not just in my interview with him, but in others that I've heard him get, he's always talking about, um, he's very aware of his need to develop, self-development. And that's that comes across, um, he, he's, he's very, very um, conscious of the fact that he's just at the start of this journey. He reminds me actually of um, one, thing, one comparison we'll do a United player, Romelu Lukaku turning down... Madrid, I think, when he was in his teens at Anderlecht and they approached him and it was funny because I think he actually made a statement as well. It's like, my dad and I have had a chat. No, we're fine. We're fine here. Thanks. Yeah. And, you know, the knowledge, and you look at Lukaku's career, incredibly confident to go from Anderlecht, Chelsea loan, but then West Brom. To go to West Brom was incredibly gutsy. And I think, you know, we, we talk about being worried for Sancho making the big money move. Actually, the bravest step of career, his career has already been taken. Mm. And from now on, everything's going to be fine because once you leave City, once you leave working with the great Guardiola, right? Like to have the guts to walk away at that point, how many players of this quality, let's think about it. How many players of Sancho's quality have ever, ever left a coaching setup of which Pep Guardiola was part? Mega I don't brave. think it's ever happened before. He's and made he's made a great decision now. But seriously, but... who's ever left Guardiola? Really, no one's ever done it. No one of that quality has done it. Okay, not that's... their own back, I don't think, right? Right, right. Tiago? No, he joined. Joined. Guardiola. Yeah. At, at, um, Bayern. Ah, uh, okay. Who, but who was Barcelona coach when he left? Was it Martino? It wasn't, it wasn't, a, it was not a difficult yeah. departure. Okay. Like, you see, I mean, no one's ever, nobody that good has ever left Guardiola before. Mm. That's incredibly gutsy. So the context of him taking a big money move, I think actually, you look at Bayern, uh, Dortmund now, Dortmund could win the league and then a chance to defend the title. Yeah. And he's the toast of Dortmund and he's getting regular games. It's just... I, I, I totally agree. But there's one thing making a good decision now and making sure that the next one is just as good. Right. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of examples of players that have moved too quick, too soon to chase yeah. bigger riches and, you know, bigger bigger moves and it's gone pear-shaped. Quick shout for Reese Nelson as well, who scored an absolute blinder. Yeah, it was a beautiful weekend. Goal. Yeah. For Hoffenheim against Leverkusen, who had been resurgent. Mm. Leverkusen, a very strange team. They were the team that I thought would be pushing um, the top two this year, but they just, they're so inconsistent. They beat Werder Bremen 6-2 last week, and it was like, okay, finally, they're, they're here. And then they... They succ- destroyed Gladbach, they, didn't they, in the they cup? Succumb- yeah, yeah. And then they succumb in the... It's so so meekly to um, to Hoffenheim, who are a good team, but um, Leverkusen shouldn't be losing that kind of game at home so emphatically. Um, yeah, I, I, Leon Bailey as well really needs to find his form because he hasn't done anything since about April, maybe even earlier, actually. I want to throw in a shout as well. That's the Germany. I want to throw a quick shout for, for Spain, La Liga. And... The underrated Ernesto Valverde, because I think he is underrated. I think because he has so many resources, people don't understand how difficult it is to coach a club like that to keep the dynamics working. They've been without Messi now for four or five games. They beat Vallecano 3-2 away from home with two very late goals. A really resilient performance. And, you know, they weren't their best, Barca, but Vallecano, you know, they're a tough team. They set up well. They're a tough team to overturn not quite as bad as Sociedad but difficult Valverde really has has won some big games there so I just want to give him some credit on the podcast because I think it's so often said 
oh, without Messi, they'd be mid-table. Mm. Um, but no, they really wouldn't. Yeah. They're a big deal. Yeah. Shout out to Rafinha as well. I love Rafinha. If you ever fancy coming to Old Trafford, more than welcome. <laughs> hey, Musa will come pick you up. Okay, listen, listen, dude, I'll buy you your wings. I'll buy the Euro wings. Um, Musa will pick you up from the airport. Mourinho will drive you back. Oh. <laughs> Oh, poor Rafinha. <laughs> poor Rafinha. Um, PSG got their 12th straight win to start the league uh, season, which is now a European record for the best start in a top five league ever. Eclipsing Tottenham Hotspur in 1960. How much longer can Mbappe stay at PSG? It just doesn't look exciting, the mm. French league. And not oh, like you know, when the Super League comes around, it'll have loads <laughs> yeah. of fun. I just think, you know. It, it, he's not long for this world when it comes to PSG. I, a big money move next summer and they really need a player like that. I mean, obviously, Real won at the weekend. They had a very lucky, very late win under Santiago Solari. Um, they were not very impressive either. N- no, they weren't. And they need a guy like him. It's funny because everyone criticises Mbappe. Well, not everyone criticises, but the biggest criticism of Mbappe is that he's a soloist. That's the, actually the beauty of his signing for Madrid next year because they need a soloist. And well, they together. lost a massive one, didn't they? So yeah. they, they kind of need... Like for like. Need mm-hmm. another. Yeah, yeah. Um, quick shout, next week we'll probably talk a little bit more about the other Desh Beagle stuff about FFP. Oh, financial stuff that came play. out about that with yeah. PSG and speaking of PSG and Manchester City. And next week we're also going to do our first ever mailbag. Woo. So hey. we're going to tweet during the week and maybe put something on Instagram think of a hashtag and you can send in your questions and we can try and answer them mm. awesome and thank you as well everyone just for listening and tuning in because there's some great feedback on the podcast which always helps us to improve it um, anything more you want to hear let us know um, but for the time being thanks again for joining us we hope we've been relatively upbeat given the Super League news I think we've had sorry for swearing well are you really that sorry Ryan you, don't, you look quite gleeful actually there's an element of the sort of the happy garden gnome at the moment with your, <laughs> your facial expression right now but you know all good um, but yes thank you so much uh, dear audience for listening in always a pleasure to have you with us Ryan many thanks again thank you no swear words wow he was you know he did it very sober Michael thank you so much for joining us again <laughs> thanks Bruce you can find us on social media at Rabona Mag Facebook Twitter Instagram so good to have you with us catch you again next week <laughs>